Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to season 11 of the Firetime Podcast. Man, I have been so excited for this season for a while now, and every summer as I get ready and and prep for the upcoming fall season, uh, it's always just very uh, reflective for me, And, and the reason is that I just think about where this podcast started and and how the movement has grown in the five years that we've been doing it. Seriously, my life has changed significantly in many ways because of the podcast and and getting to meet folks all over the country and, and create relationships and see change happening in our industry has been an absolute honor for me. And I am really excited to be back for an 11th season. Now, every season, as you know, we have a theme going into it, and the theme for season 11 is the seven steps of the sales process revisited, and the reason for this is I've been traveling a lot this year, and on many of the trips that I took, I was just presenting on the sales process How do you work with a customer from the time they walk into the store to the time they make the sale? Or if you're a chimney technician, from the time that you walk up to the house to the time the sale is over, what happens in that? And that's what the sales process is for. Now, early on in this podcast, we went through the seven steps of the sales process, but a lot of time has gone by and I wanted to revisit these steps because the steps of the process don't change. Now, our application of them might, and this season, I want to introduce you to people in every single episode that really embody this and that I look to as inspiration for these different parts of the sales process, but we're going back to the basics, and this season is going all in on the sales process. Now, in today's episode, I'm having a return guest to the show, Quinn Lackey. He was on last season when we had the episode in our management series about live sales practice. And we did we did live practice when I was out in Kentucky hanging out with him and Curtis Coomer. I've got him back on the show today, and we're actually going to walk through all seven steps at a very high level to kind of set the stage to go step by step by step for the next seven episodes. Now, just to teach on this for a minute, the, the way that I look at sales, sales is like a road trip. It really is. If I'm on a road trip from where I live in Portland, Oregon, out to, say, New York City, there's a route that I want to take. There's a route. And a sales process is not a level of micromanagement that says, well, you need to drive 55 here, stay in this lane, stop here for gas, stop here for lunch, make sure that you drive 65 here. That's not what a sales process is. That's a level of micromanagement that's not helpful. A sales process says, hey, when you're driving from Portland, Oregon to New York City, you need to start in Oregon and head east. Now, eventually, you're going to get into Idaho where you're going to continue to head east. That's what a sales process is. It's what state should you be in and what direction should you be driving? If you end up in California or Texas, something has gone wrong. And a sales process is a path that we can follow. And it makes life easier for us and easier for our customers. And it results in more sales success. So without further ado, the seven steps in the process, you've likely heard these before. None of it's rocket science, but these seven steps are what need to be done every single time. Step one, greet the customer. Step two, understand their problem. Step three, advise a solution. Step four, explain the process. Step five, call to action. Step six, pursue the opportunity. And step seven, show gratitude. If you can do those things every single time, it is amazing what happens. And just for me, as I've been going around the country for the last year, working with companies and and teaching them, I'm seeing such a hunger 
for a sales process. And as I've talked with folks, I mean, it's, it's just been amazing to see how they've latched onto it. So with all of that said, me and Quinn are going to dive into these seven steps. We're going to talk a little bit about each one to give you an overview of the process from someone who is living and breathing this every single day. Joining me from Lexington, Kentucky is a return guest to the show. He's a salesperson at Barnhill Chimney. I'm here today with Quinn Lackey. Quinn, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Excited to talk about some sales process. Yeah, me too. I've been excited about this for a little while and you were obviously on last season with Curtis when I was out in Lexington in person. We did a podcast on live sales practice and I'm I'm not joking, man. I got a ton of feedback about how good that episode was and 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 people were just amazed that you guys had the courage to actually practice like live on on the internet. And so uh yeah, it was it was great and I'm excited to have you on again. I want to jump in and talk about the seven-step sales process, but before we do, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your journey at Barnhill because you didn't start out in a sales position. That was something that you evolved into after being at the company for a while. So can you talk just a little bit about your journey to get to where you are now? Yeah, I'd love to. I was actually on my way back from working at a summer camp my year after college. And my brother had been working at Barnhill his summer before he was leaving for college. And I didn't have a job yet. So he gave me Brian's number and I called him and got a job. And for the first while, I was just, uh, you know, filing stuff and taking phone calls. And I worked at several different parts of the company, worked in sales for a little bit, and then went to another part. And then this most recent time, something clicked when you came out here and I got that 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 jolt of knowing what really needed to happen in the process. And so it's all sort of been changed from there. Yeah. And I mean, before you were in sales too, like you you worked on the install side in particular, didn't you? Like you were you were like a coordinator inside the office for guys in the field, right? Yeah, managed the installs and the warehouse and answered phone calls all at the same time. And I feel like it's gotta set you up also well to know the entire process, right? When a, when a customer comes in, you've got knowledge of what is going to happen throughout the whole process with the warehouse, with scheduling and things like that. I think that that does set up really well for sales. So jumping into this, I want to talk about the sales process. And me and you have talked about this a lot over the last over the last three years or so. I feel like me and you and Curtis have probably talked more in depth on the sales process than almost anybody else I've, I've talked with. And we've been really big on, on talking about how like there's a route to sales and how, as we follow a process, it makes us better and it serves our customers. But for you, like day to day living it out, what is the sales process? Like what, what has that done for you? And like, how do you apply that in your day to day work? It's been night and day because we, well, back, back when I uh, first started here, before I even started the install coordinator role, I worked in the showroom a little bit, but we were a sweep heavy side. So we would actually, the only times people would come into the showroom is when they wanted to come look at a wood stove. So I would basically go out into the showroom because we had a back office that was completely separate. And I would show them the stove that we quoted them and then basically say, hey, do you want to go with it or not? And then, you know, I wasn't getting the sale. I wasn't the one driving anything. So it just, it wasn't helpful for the customers. It wasn't helpful for the company. And so it was getting that sales process knows exactly which way we're going to go. We're going to follow this and it's going to help us make the process so much easier for the customer. What's the one step that for you has like stuck out the most in recent memory? I would say understanding the problem has been the biggest difference. Today, I had a customer that was in the showroom and I never would have done this before we started going through the process. But I, I took, we have a little sitting area with a, with a nice couch that we bought and some chairs. And I sat them down and we have actually a little placemat that we use on the sweep side to show people what their chimney looks like. And I was just trying to explain some things to him. And so sitting down and pointing that out to him and he's like, oh yeah, that's exactly what my chimney looks like. And so understanding the problem also helps the customer understand their own problem so that they can help you understand what the best solution is going to be. Yeah, that's true. Well, so here's what I'd like to do as we're going to be spending the next seven episodes going through all the steps in the process. I just want to talk through each step specifically and also just kind of tee you up to hear hear your thoughts on this because I feel like, you know, you're somebody that I really 
think just lives and and, and breathes this. Like I, I look at you as like a rock star salesperson that is only getting better. So I, I'd love to hear your specific thoughts. So let's start with step one of the sales process. All right, really quick. Let me let me let me go through all seven. So in the sales process, step one is that we greet the customer. Step two, we understand their problem. Step three, we advise a solution. Step four, we explain the process. Step five, we call to action. Step six, we pursue the opportunity. And step seven, we show gratitude. And it's those things holistically that make it a sales process. I think that oftentimes people do 60% of that 40% of the time. And by being able to tighten the screws intentionally to where you're doing, you know, 100% of it, 80% of the time, like that will significantly impact your success with customers and how much business you do. So to go through those steps real quick, I guess I'd I'd ask it this way before we get started, kind of hearing all those steps at once. And you've heard these steps a million times. Like what is the idea of a process? What has that done for you versus just like the willy nilly, I'm not sure what to do next, or I think I do this. Like what, what's the process done for you? During the season, you know, when we're in the dead of winter, it's not as front of mind because you're sort of just hopping from one thing to the, to the next. It, it does help guide that a little bit, but I think what it really helps is in July and August, I know what to do next with my time. I know, oh, we completed these three projects last week and I need to call my customers and thank them so much or I need to send them some thank you notes. Yeah, this is like you always know what to do next. Well, let's let's start with step one. So, so jumping into step one, greet the customer. I mean, this one for me is a big deal as I've you know done secret shopping at places it's not often that I'm greeted intentionally. Most of the time someone gives me a greeting that is half-hearted or it's very clear they're busy or, you know, something else more important is going on. And, and I feel like the, the cardinal rule when it comes to greeting the customer is we have the opportunity to either build a connection or to push away a connection with a customer. What are the things that you try to embody to make sure that, that you build a connection with the customer in the greeting phase? I think the biggest thing is saying hi, giving them the second to get their bearings, walking into a fireplace store that they've probably never been in before. And then I think telling them your name is one of the best things that you can do in extending your hand. It just, it just really puts them at ease. This is somebody that you can trust. And a lot of times they'll give you your name. And if you can remember those down the line, that's such a big win. Yeah, that's super good. I, I'm the same way where I, the one thing I want to make sure that I do is introduce myself, make eye contact and give just like a genuine acknowledgement and thank them for coming in. So like when someone comes in, instead of saying, how can I help you or be with you in a minute, I can look at them, smile, raise my hand and go, hey, how's it going? I'll be with you guys in just one second. And then I walk over to them and I extend my hand and I go, hey, thanks a ton for coming in my name's Tim. It's great to meet you. And I've just found that does something to us. Like now, sometimes people might be like, who's this tall, skinny guy. That's like running over to me to like smile at me. And I, and I get that, you know, but for most people, that's going to invite a connection. When we show genuine gratitude that they're in here, when we show genuine interest in them. And I think that that's what we want to try to do in a, in a greeting. Is there anything else in particular that you look for when you're greeting a customer? Yeah, well, I think it's something that's overlooked is the phone greeting because that's how we're interacting with customers for the first time a lot of times these days. And, you know, a lot of times the phone call is getting transferred to me. Sometimes they might have been on hold for a little bit. And so just saying hi, saying a lot of times you'll get their name. So if you can say their name when you first say on the phone and say this yeah. is your name. And then, and then just put them at ease that they're in the right place. And I think the biggest thing that we have done since I've been here and that Brian has harped on is that it doesn't matter what it is. The answer on almost anything is we can help you with that. And and it might not be us helping them, but we can help you with that. That's really good. You know, and it's funny. I remember you mentioned this particularly that you wanted to take the angle of talking to customers on the phone because that is such a big deal. Like, I, I've had it happen very often where it's like people, they, they, they're trying to get me off the phone, you know, but if someone's calling you and they're at home and can't come into the showroom, like, man, you better treat them as if they're standing right there in the showroom. That's really, really good. And, and that idea of like, we can help you with that. I, I feel like whenever possible, we want to say yes to the customer. 
and there's definitely times where, where we can't i get that but whenever possible we want to say yes so like if a customer calls and says hey I, I need to get my chimney swept and your company doesn't offer chimneys the first response people almost always give is oh well, well we, we don't we don't do chimney sweeps you'll need to call somebody else you know or we, uh, no we don't do chimney sweeps but i've got a referral for you and when you frame it that way you are destroying your connection with the customer versus mm-hmm. when you say just like what you, well, you said quinn oh yeah i'd love to help you with that we don't do that work in house, but I've got a contact for someone that does phenomenal work and I'd love to pass your information on to them. I'll give you their number too and make sure that you get a call this afternoon to take care of that. It's like what a different experience by you telling the customer yes versus oh no no, no we don't do that. It's it's huge. And you may not solve it right then. You may not be the one that solves it, but just the fact that you found somebody that says yes, it it reminds me, you know, uh, Yoko Ono is a pretty polarizing figure, but the reason that John Lennon fell in love with her is because there was an art installation that she did where you had to climb up a ladder, look through a magnifying glass, and you saw the word yes. And he just loved that it was like this optimistic thing. We can get so pulled in by pessimism these days. And so just yes, and we can help you just is such a big deal. Man, that's so good. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about step two as an overview. So step two is understand the customer's problem. And uh, I would agree with you, like this is the step in particular for me that's been on my mind a lot lately. And it's because I think it's the hardest step in the process. I, I think it's it's much easier to talk rather than listen. And I think that especially as we've been doing it for longer and longer, we start to think we know the customer's story before they finish telling it to us. And what happens when we don't take the time to understand the customer's problem is we're making random guesses on if we actually have a solution for them. And it sets us up to pitch a product rather than advise a solution. And so, yeah, for for you, like I've seen you make, I mean, unbelievable strides in this. And I look at you as someone who really understands the power of this step. Like, yeah, can you talk about like what have been the changes that, that you have made to really try to embody this in your own sales process? Yeah, well, and I think the biggest thing with understanding the problem is a lot of times when they come with solution in mind, like like in Kentucky, we get so many people that walk in and say, I want to get some vent-free logs and to not walk straight back to our vent-free section. I mean, th- that's what we did for forever and to actually sit them down and go, yeah, well, you know, let me just understand what's going on before we do that. A lot of times you, you can get to where you realize, oh, that isn't going to be the solution. Or even, you know, wood inserts is right at the front of our store. And sometimes they say, oh, yeah, I want one of these. And you just don't know if that's going to work for them until you sit them down and and see what their lifestyle is, see what they're trying to do with this space, see what they currently have. And it just it makes all the difference. Yeah, I feel like this step kind of proves that you are the expert. I, I I really believe that. Like, it's kind of judo because it's actually not you talking. It's you listening and asking thoughtful questions. But I think that that actually really does prove expertise. Sometimes um, I've had people tell me like, well, if I ask a million questions, it's going to look like I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I think it's actually the opposite where it's like, if you don't ask a lot of questions, you look like an idiot when you show them something that's incorrect or when you go down the wrong path. But when customers come into the showroom and this is where the language is really intentional, like this step is not discovery and it's not like the customer interview because customers don't come in to be interviewed. They don't come in to be discovered, but they do want to be understood. Like they're coming in to be understood. And I found kind of like how you, you talked about how Brian always says like, you know, on the phone say like, yeah, we can help you with that. I do something kind of similar when, whatever people ask for usually, but whatever people ask for, they say, Hey, we're in here looking at vent free logs, right? To use your example, I will often say something like, Oh, awesome. As you can see, like we have all kinds of fireplaces and log sets on display and not every log set is actually right or even safe to go into any given home situation. So if it's okay, I'd love to maybe just have a seat for a minute and learn a little bit more about the project um, just to make sure I'm on the same page. And then I'd love to show you some options that would be a really good fit for you. And and for me, that's how I absorb the blow. Like whatever they ask for, I'm going to absorb that blow and acknowledge it and say, 
oh yeah, I'd love to help you with that. Or like, you know, to use the language you were speaking, like, oh yeah, I, like, I think we can help you with that. But just so that you know, like not every log set will work in every situation. And I, I want to make sure I'm not wasting your time showing you something that won't, won't work. So if it's okay, could we have a seat right here? And I just ask a few questions about the project to make sure I'm on the same page. And then I'd be happy to show you some, some fireplaces and logs that would be a, a great solution for you. And I feel like when you phrase it that way, no one will say no to it because it's a logical like argument that's infallible. Not everything will work. And since I'm not sure what you have, I'd love to learn a little bit more. So therefore I show you what will work. Like that logic is airtight. Absolutely. Yeah. And greeting the customer, the whole point of that is to forge a connection. And I find that to further that, this this is the main chance you have to forge that next connection because they're talking about moving to this house. So you can ask them, oh, why did you move down here? Where did you move from? Everything that you talk about that is not something that they normally talk about with strangers just makes you feel a little bit more like a friend. Yeah. You know, and I feel like you've done a really good job with this. I'm even just thinking back to the sales practice that we did last season. How do you ask questions without coming off overbearing or um, like this is taking too long? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, how, how do you strike that balance of staying engaged and being purposeful? I mean, I think you have to read them. The first few questions they're they're always fine with because people like talking about themselves. Sometimes they do, you can start, tell they're starting to get to the point of, I came in to look at fireplaces. I want to look at some fireplaces. And so you either have to thank them for their patience because people like to walk into basically your expectations. And so if you say, thank you for being so patient, then like, oh yeah, I am a patient person. Um, and so th- that'll just settle them a little bit. But sometimes you just, you just got to ask your last two questions that you know you need and then get on with it. But as long as you're being gracious and thanking them and sounding excited when you get the answers and let them know that they're building a picture for you, then people can usually handle that. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's just say that I'm the customer and we're sitting down. Do you have like a go-to first question that you love to ask? I usually like to ask, is the house here in Lexington? I find that that just, because that's an easy one to answer. I don't like to start with something where people aren't going to know. You know, if you ask, hey, is it a masonry fireplace? Hey, is it this? And they say, I don't know. It just starts things off on a bad food, but they know where they live. Yeah. And I feel like, I guess for you, especially being in the South, Lexington is such a familial town that I'm sure based on where they say the home is, you're going to have some connection or a neighbor or a friend or a relative, right? Like that just opens up a doorway of connection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then a lot of times it'd be like, oh no, we're in X town. Cause I mean, a lot of our work is outside of Lexington, but even then I know things that are there and you can say, oh, that's such a pretty area. And so it's another little connection there. And it just makes them feel at ease, which I think is such an important part. Because shopping can absolutely not be fun. Yeah, yeah. Man, you know, it's I, I love that one because it, it is like it tells you something really practical and and it does open up the the doorway to connection. My, my go-to is always like when we sit down and just be like, hey, so tell me a little bit about your project. You know, this is like just again, like very non-threatening. Uh, I'm not asking, so do you have a masonry fireplace? I mean, now, you know, okay, it's masonry on the inside and the outside, right? Like, not just not just on the inside. Like, I've had yeah. people do that to me before, yeah. and we don't want to, like, browbeat the customer on that first impression. So, like, what you said, like, oh, yeah, so is, is the house here in Lexington? It's so non-threatening, and it opens up a doorway for connection, just like, yeah, so tell me a little bit about the project. Yeah. Oh, awesome, man. That sounds like a great project. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, and, and you mentioned this. Like, tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, I, I think you're right that people do, they do like to talk about themselves. And when they're working on a home improvement project, especially if they know there's a variety of options and not every option will work, it's very logical that they would explain a little bit about the project so that they're not getting a product that's a bad fit. That's really good. Okay, so we, we got to keep we got to keep moving to get to the next step. So we, we, we talked about taking the time to understand the customer's problem. Now we shift to step three, advise a solution. And, you know, for me, I, I, I think that the reason I think step two is so important is it sets up step three, because oftentimes I just feel like we are taught by many manufacturers and sales reps, not all of them, but many of them, and definitely by almost every piece of literature in our industry, we are taught facts and figures 
that don't necessarily have relevance to solve the customer's problem, right? This fireplace has 17 decorative fronts. Great. It's got a two-stage burner. Oh, awesome. It uses direct vent technology. Sweet. It's a 72% FE rating, but a 78% AFUE rating. Okay, great. And like all of those things are fine. I'm not against any of those things, but the way they're presented doesn't solve a customer's problem. And the reason I feel like understanding is so important is that when I understand the customer situation, I can take those 25 things that I know about the fireplace and I can pick the two to talk about that will move the needle for the customer. And if I don't understand the problem, I, I'm not set up to advise a solution. So yeah, like, and, and maybe for you, like what if you take this in a phone direction? Like when you're talking to someone on the phone, how do you approach this step in the sales process? It, it is tougher because you can't walk them over to the unit and say, hey, this is going to be a great fit. You have to say, hey, I have a great option for you. And then later on the line, you can say, hey, why don't you come into the showroom and see it? Because that is so powerful. But on the phone, I just, I'll say the name of the product and, and I'll tell them a little bit about it, what it is going to be useful for them. I, I try to stick to a story because that's the most powerful thing for anybody. You know, facts and figures, how many BTUs it is, how many fronts it has, that doesn't make anybody excited. The story is what excites people. So give me an example of like a story. I mean, today I had several people in that we were looking at gas inserts and I'm a sucker for Valor. <laughs> um, I think it's so powerful, the the no cord thing, because we have a lot of older houses around here and they don't have electric near there. And, and so any barriers I can take away of that cord running out one side or the other, because like I said, a lot of them come in for vent free. So they think it's going to be logs in the fireplace. And so if we can, if we can go with direct vent with as minimal things outside of what they're expecting, that story of, you know, this is going to provide heat. It's got a barrier screen and um, it's not going to have a cord just really helps in my opinion. I agree. I, I think that all the solutions that we present to a customer should, when possible, be story-based, you know? And what I found is being really effective with that is uh, a couple things, but like one is talking about the problem, then the solution, and then the result. So it's easy sometimes to just jump straight to solution, but to talk about the problem first, like in the case you were talking about, you know, and I know you do this being like, yeah, so like a lot of fireplaces on the market have a power cord that plugs into a nearby wall. And the reason they do that is to make sure the unit always has, you know, electricity for it and the fan can operate. But what that means is that you either have to look at that cord being plugged into the wall or you have to hire an electrician to bore a giant hole into your fireplace and spend a bunch of extra money to tie this into it. Well, these fireplaces, you don't have to. So you're going to be able to save money. You can just operate the fireplace with AA batteries and you don't have to mess with with anything else. And and that's a story that's easy to latch onto. Like when someone goes home that night and they're having the coffee table battle where they throw all the brochures in the coffee table, that story will become top of mind, right? And, and it's not that other things don't matter, but it's that when we are talking about a feature or a benefit, we want to present the problem before the solution because a solution without a problem doesn't mean anything. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Okay, so we've talked about steps two and three. Step four. Okay, so step four is explain the process. And this is one that I really, really love. And I'm curious like what you think and, and what direction you'd go with this. I think on the phone, this can actually be really helpful too. But what I love doing in step four is after momentum is high, we've, you know, we've, we've advised a solution that's specific to that customer's problem. When it comes to step four, we now explain in three or four steps how they can do business with us. And, and uh, you know, this comes from Donald Miller's book, Building a Story Brand. They call it Make a Plan. And we want to explain that process in three steps. So we can say, hey, Mrs. Customer, hey, Mr. Customer, it looks like this XYZ insert is going to be a really good fit. Here's the steps to take to, to make that a reality. Step one, you do this. Step two, you do this. Step three, you do this. And if you can do those things, man, you're going to be enjoying this fireplace for years to come. And so I, I like this because I think it gives a lot of clarity to what the customer needs to do. And I'm, I'm just curious if and where you've seen success giving customers that three-step process to follow. Yeah, well, we make sure that we do the same one that you usually recommend on here, which is today I'm going to get you that quote, you know, exactly what it's going to cost. Step two is if, if that looks good, we're going to get somebody out to your house to, to make sure that it's going to work for you. And then step three, we're going to get that installed. But 
a couple things that I do, especially when we do a phone one where I'm emailing them the quote, I will put in the email that, hey, and the next step is we're going to get somebody out to your house just so that they get a quote and they go, okay, what, what am I supposed to do with this? And so if they see right there, hey, the next step is let's get somebody out to your house. A lot of times their next question is, well, when can you get somebody out here? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Because I think I think that a lot of businesses make the mistake of not clearly giving the customer that next step. And they oftentimes will explain it away as, well, we're just, we're not pushy, but there's a difference between being pushy and being direct. Right. And I mean, I I don't want a pushy salesperson either, but, but I do want someone direct that can say, if you want to work with us and you don't have to, but if you want to work with us, here's the way to make that happen. First, we do this. Second, we do this. Third, we do this. Now it's totally your choice, whether you want to work with us or not, but when you're ready, We'll do this, then this, then this, and your problem solved. It's just like going to the doctor when the doctor's like, hey, I know that, you know, surgery can seem overwhelming, but Tim, trust me, I've done a thousand of these. It's it's not it's not that big of a deal. First, you're gonna come in that morning and do this. Second, we're gonna get you onto the table. Third, your recovery is gonna take you two hours, and then you're gonna be home that evening. Like by someone explaining to me what's about to happen, it removes some of the fear from that part of me. Yeah, each step needs to be their choice. It shouldn't be, hey, these are the steps that we're going to do right now. It's if this step goes well, then we'll do this step. And then if that step works out, then we'll do this step so that they know that they have a place to get off. That's really good. Yeah, because the example is like, we're telling the customer, you can exit at any point. But if you don't exit, this is where the road goes. Step one is going to be an estimate. And at that point, you can exit if you don't want to go any further. But if that estimate looks good, then step two, we'll come out for an in-home visit and we'll finalize that number for you. And you can exit at that point. But if you don't exit and that looks good, then we'll go to step three. It's like that combination of the customer knows they've got a series of outs up ahead if the pressure mm-hmm. gets too high, but they also know there's a path to follow to solve the problem. And I think that that's, that's powerful. Okay, so let's go to step five, our call to action. This is a scary step, but like just, you know, seeing your results, you're obviously successful at this. Do you have any secrets for, for the call to action? What goes through your mind? Like, how do you know when to ask a customer for the next step? Well, this part of the process is so much easier if you have done the other ones first. If somebody walked into your showroom, said, I want a wood insert, you quoted them a wood insert, a standard venting run and a liner kit and then said, all right, do you want to buy this? Uh, they're like, what? So if, if you've understood that this is the right solution, if you've talked them through that, and then you tell them what exactly is going to happen up ahead, when you make that call to action, they're not surprised. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's kind of a slowest fast thing with the model that we discussed. And again, like, you know, there's many companies out there that take deposits before going out for an in-home visit. I personally don't do that. And I believe that the right move is to go out for free, but you can, you can defend it. And that, that's okay if that's what your business decides to do. But in this example, where you do offer a free in-home visit, you are letting the customer gradually get in with you before making that commitment because they've looked at that initial number. So they're not surprised by the final number. And then they've had you out to the house. So they know you and they trust you and they've talked with the estimator and that estimator puts together the final number. So now when you call, like they know the game that, I mean, they know what's up and it's not a guarantee they're going to say yes, but man, it makes it a lot easier to ask them if they want to move ahead with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Life is unexpected at times. So, I mean, they don't want to commit to something. I had one time where a a customer, you know, we went out and did a site visit. And then the week leading up to that, they had a pipe burst. And so, you know, this is a little bit of a luxury product. And so they had to (laughs) address the pipe burst before they could pay for the gas fireplace. And so I didn't get my feelings hurt and they didn't feel the pressure that they had to do this. And so we both walked away. They ended up calling me the next year and, and, uh, and going forward with it. Yeah. I I think the call to action gets scary when you haven't A, understood the customer's problem, B, advised a solution that perfectly solves the problem, and C, explain the steps to the customer of what's going to happen next. Because then a call to action is like, well, I hope they buy it. I I wrote the quote. I'm just going to try to take a swing. 
And it's like, well, good luck. You might you might sell it some of the time, but man, if you can take that slow approach of going deep with the customer and showing them the way before asking them to take that step of faith out onto the path, I, I think it really sets you up for more success. That's that's absolutely correct. And I, I think the less that they are just sitting there staring at you across the desk and the more that you're either engaging with them or if they have something to look at in the showroom or you have some music playing, the more at ease they are. I think if they're just sitting there in eerie silence while you put the quote together and then you hand <laughs> yeah, it to them and and say, all right, can we come out to your home? It doesn't feel the same as if you're like, got some banter going back and forth with them or if you you know, are talking to them about something at that point. Another chance to make a connection while you're doing that. Yeah, and, and your guys' showroom is so nice too, like having a nice sitting area where you can send them to and like they can have a coffee or a glass of water or something like that while they're waiting. That's that's really helpful. So, okay, so we talked about call to action. Now we move on to step six of the sales process, which is pursue the opportunity. And dude, I just feel like you are relentless with this. And and not relentless like in like a creepy way where you're calling people 18 times after they've said no, but dude, you've got a legit follow-up process. And uh, could you just walk us through that follow-up process? Yeah, well, anytime I get a chance to, I have a conversation with the client when they're leaving of, okay, well, I'll I'll plan to reach out to you next week because, you know, they'll say they need a chance to talk to their wife first or or, or their husband or whatever it is. And so I'll make sure to put it on my in my notebook. I've got a journal going that you actually recommended to me, the, the full focus planner. Yeah. And I'll put it on there for next week on on the Tuesday that I'm going to give them a call. And so they're expected. Again, it's it's the the whole expectation game thing. And, and in some circumstances, I'll do that with my cell phone. Sometimes I'll call from the the office line. It, it depends there. Sometimes I'll even shoot them a text. If it seems like that's the way they want to go, I just, it's just whatever seems like it's going to be the easiest for them. Yeah. And what you're saying with this is like the easiest follow-up is the one you plan with the customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and something that I don't do very often, but but have been getting into more is I'll actually ask them, well, do you want me to shoot you a text or an email next week? Or would you prefer I give you a call? You know, and it also depends on if uh, somebody's older or younger, if it's, if it's somebody in here, who's my age, I'll probably shoot them a text. If it's, if it's an older person, I'll give them a call. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I mean, I'm thinking about for many years in the industry, I didn't do any follow-up and I was really bad at it when I did. And really the, the reason was because I went into these conversations kind of just like dialing for dollars or sending like random emails without purpose or thought. And I really, it's like I hadn't earned the right to follow up because I'd forgotten all about it, hadn't documented any of my notes about the conversation. I was just looking through the bid folder and saw, oh man, that's an expensive job. I better check in on that. And what you do is a lot different than that. Like I know like you keep like, you know, pretty good notes of like what they looked at, when you talked, what the next step is. And so when you have invested that time with the customer and they're getting ready to leave or you're, you're, you're leaving their house after the in-home visit and they're not quite ready to commit just to say, well, hey, I want to make sure this doesn't slip through the cracks. What would be a good day next week for me to circle back with you just to make sure that we, we figure out what the next step's going to be? I feel like most people are really receptive to that because they have genuine interest in the project. Yeah, if you've called to action... Then they told you what their barrier was. Oh, I'm not sure. I've got it in the budget. Oh, I need to talk to my wife. So even if you're just calling to check up, even if you don't have something better than that, you're following up on that. Hey, how did the, you know, did your husband have any questions? Did, you know, something like that. I got to ask, like, how important is, is step six pursuing the opportunity to your holistic sales process? Like if you cut out that step, what would that, what would that do to your sales process? Because it's so late in the game, it doesn't hurt any of the other steps. It just makes it so that, one, I've had people call in November that had come in in August. And if I had called them, then they would have gotten the unit they, they wanted when they wanted it. We could have installed it in September. But because I didn't reach out to them, they forgot about it until it got cold. And then we were already booked out until February. Yeah. And if you had to guess, like, what's the average number of follow-ups that you do with your best opportunities with the best ones i mean you had made a spreadsheet for us and i think it went up to seven on on the best opportunities i I would hit that seven and it would just sit there 
And, 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 and a lot of times it's because there's a big job. There's a lot going on with it. So you want to make sure that you just keep everything. There's always some next step that's going on with those as well. Yeah. So when it comes to follow-up, if someone's listening to this and they have never actively pursued the opportunities after a customer leaves the showroom and they are like, how do you have time to do this? Like, what would you say to someone that's starting out is the key to becoming effective at, at follow-up and pursuing opportunities? Space and time. Even in the summer, I'm not very good at following up if I am in the showroom. And so if you can, you know, we've got an upstairs office, so I'll go upstairs and and just sit out my plan in front of me and then spend two hours just making sure that I do all the things that I said I was going to do, that I called the people I told I would call and just make sure they hear from me. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Have you ever had anyone just get like furious at you for follow-up? Uh, I've had some people be like, hey, I'll I'll call you. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, okay, man, I got you. That's cool. Um, but other than that, I've, I haven't had anybody because I've never been pushy. I've never called somebody once to say I'm not interested. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So now we hit step seven, show gratitude. So we've made it all the way through the sales process. We pursue the opportunity, the customer purchases, and now it's time to show gratitude. I, I love this step because I think our industry claims to be like the anti Amazon. We are human. We care about people. We're not transactional. And as we show our customers gratitude, genuine gratitude, like it proves that it proves our humanity. It proves the fact that we care about them and, and we want their best. What does gratitude look like for you? Yeah, well, luckily my my company actually has a pretty pretty nice built-in one that we're still building out. But uh, we've got some blankets, some Barnhill chimney blended, <laughs> some Barnhill chimney branded blankets that we'll actually send to customers in certain situations. So that's a great one because you know what says fireplace more than a blanket. But even if it's a small thing as an email afterwards, I, I sent one the other day before I could get around to writing a thank you note. And she emailed back within a day and was like, oh my gosh, you've been so great to work with. Everybody that's come out here has been so impressive and we've already recommended you all to several people. And so just thanking them lets them know that you mean more to them than their dollars. Yeah. I agree. You know, and, and it's something that I'm trying to get better at, but like I keep a big box of thank you cards next to my desk and trying to be disciplined to make time on like a monthly basis to, to send out a new batch of them is something that's really important to me. And when I, when I was a retail manager, part of my rhythm for my sales team was in the same way that we would allow people to have follow-up space, kind of like what you were just talking about, being able, being able to go upstairs to the office off the showroom floor, we would do something very similar with thank you cards where once a month we would send the salespeople a list of all their jobs from the previous month that went in. And, you know, I kept like $200 worth of $5 Starbucks cards in my desk and they would just go grab, you know, Starbucks cards and they'd, they'd write thank you notes to people. And sometimes we'd send them to a coffee shop. Like they'd go down the street and they're at the coffee shop and then go bust out, you know, 15 thank you cards in an hour and a half. And we buy them a cup of coffee on the company. And I'm like... I think that's such a good use of time. Dude, I just think it's such a good use of time that if, if you if you send out 10 thank you cards with five bucks for Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever inside and just genuinely show appreciation for your customers, like, dude, I just have to believe that that, that, that spreads. I have found that it does. I mean, just Starbucks card or not, just being thanked is such a rare thing these days. Just getting something in the mail, getting a letter in the mail is such a rare thing that's not asking you to buy something or a bill for something when you can get that little spark of joy it makes a world of difference yeah well quinn this has been awesome man i i, I really appreciate you and I, I think that the work you do is phenomenal truly like i think that you are just one of the up-and-coming rock stars in our in our industry so we talked through the seven steps briefly and in the next seven episodes we're gonna take a deep dive on every single one but if you were to speak to a business owner that's a little bit older and they've kind of done it their way in the old school mentality for a long time. And they hire you, a young, smart person that has a ton of potential, but they're hesitant about like investing in the training and the sales process. Like, what would you say to that person? Like, why is it worth it to invest in this? So I, I think perception is reality. And when somebody perceives that you actually care, that becomes their reality. But if they don't see that that's happening, they just don't feel as good about the process. So if they see you listening to them talk about their problem, if they see the thank you note in their hand, 
then they can feel that you care about them and they just get the warm fuzzies and it just makes it better for everybody. Yeah, I agree. And like, and oftentimes in that old school mentality is it's, well, we don't need all this fluffy sales process stuff. Okay. Let me just ask him, do they have a masonry fireplace? Do they like, it's like you, you forget your humanity and you jump straight into this like tactical soldier mode and oftentimes you know i found like that old school mentality is like it's kind of how you train other people to be and it's not yeah it's not the best so quinn i think you're just an amazing example of this and man i appreciate you being here it's been a really fun conversation thanks so much for having me well i hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with quinn lackey over the years, we have talked so much about the sales process, and and honestly, he is somebody that that really lives and breathes this. And and when we get together and, and chat, which is actually pretty frequently, he is so willing to invest in his craft and practice and think and ask questions. And uh, man, it's just so cool to see the journey that he's gone on. And I'm really honored to call him a friend. You know. As, as we went through these seven steps in, in this conversation, I, I know it was brief, but I really wanted you to hear both from myself and from someone who is in this every single day, what it can look like to take this to heart and use it as a map. You know, one of the things at the beginning that he said that I thought was just so good, when he talked about his phone etiquette, to, to try to make your default answer instead of no, to make your default answer yeah, I think I can help you with that. That is so good. You know, even for things that you don't offer that service on in-house to lead with, I'd love to help you with that and help them in whatever way you can versus just saying no and creating a barrier between yourself and the customer. I mean, I see this often in our industry and it goes back to human psychology. So, so as human beings, we feel power when we say no and it gives our, our brains like a dopamine hit because we feel like we're in control. And so as a salesperson, it, like again, we often say no because it makes us feel powerful, like we're in control. What would it look like for you to say yes to your customers? And I'm not saying do things that you can't do or you're not supposed to do, but whenever possible, say yes. Yes. You know, so as an example here, when you're talking to someone on the sales floor about a product and they say, hey, well, can it, can it do this? To be able to say, you know what? This one doesn't, but I've got one right here that does. And like frame that as a positive as opposed to like, no, this one doesn't. No, I mean, we have, we, we, you have to switch to another, another model that, that does do that. You know, frame that as a positive. I, I find this often when I secret shop. I'll ask questions like that just to see how the salesperson will react. And it's almost like they they get joy out of telling me no. And uh, I think this actually goes back to Craig Newby. Craig Newby from AES told me years ago, whenever possible, try to make the answer yes for your customers. And, and I, think that, uh, I think that there's a way to do that and still not overpromise and, and under deliver. So that, that was a really good when Quinn said that, you know, the, the other thing too, like when we were talking about how perception is reality in many cases, uh, man, I, I, I just think that that's very, very true. Perception is reality. And for, for your company, you might be nervous about implementing a sales process and think, well, I'm not the person to do this. And I, I, I mean, it's somebody else's process. I don't know if I can lead the way. What if someone asked me a hard question? And, and I get all of that. But here's the thing. You know, if, if someone gets hired and on their first day, you give them a very small binder that has the seven-step sales process and maybe just a paragraph or two written on each step and you say to them, yeah, this is the way that we do sales. And you walk through each step in the process. And then, you know, once a week, you practice it for 30 minutes. Their perception of you and your company is that these people really know what they're doing. They really do. They understand how to sell versus when there's no rhyme or reason. And it's like, oh yeah, just sit by Susan or yeah, just sit by Jimmy and just try to pick it up. You know, nobody wants to to do that. And again, Susan or Jimmy may be having a, a bad day, but when people can, can be a part of a sales process that they can see how it works and they can see what is opened up for them as they have success in it, man, good things just happen. And, and I think that often in our industry, we have many bad salespeople because 
they're not trained, they're not given an effective sales process, and they're not shown what their life will look like if they can succeed in their job. And it's not just about a pay raise, right? But but people in whatever position they're in in your company, they should know the path that's in front of them. And, and, and no job should truly be a dead end. I mean, I've had situations where people have left my company because I wasn't able to provide them anymore. And I'm great with that. Like in their case, the next step for them in the path was actually going to work for somebody else. And, and, and I was okay with that because they'd been faithful to us for a long time and they were able to help train the next person that came in. But the point is you need to make sure that your people see there's a path for them. And when you can show that your company can take them places and give them really good things, it's amazing how they stick with you. And, and even at times, if the better fit is for them to go somewhere else and, and you operate from thinking about their best interests, like, man, that buys so much, so much credibility. Well, hey, we talked about a lot of things in this conversation today. And my hope is that you took away the idea that a sales process really works and team members that work on your showroom floor can do this just the same way that, that you've seen Quinn doing this and, and talking about it in these episodes that he's been in. So my encouragement to you would be that the juice is worth the squeeze and I hope you make the investment in it. Well, hey, if this podcast today was a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash it's fire time. And we are so thankful for everybody that contributes. The reason that this podcast can happen and that we can have an editor to edit it down and have equipment that sounds good and, and try to put thought into getting good guests, it's because of the generous contributions that we get. And we, we operate on a very small shoestring budget, but man, it, it, it's just enough. And, and, and we're so thankful for those of you who contribute. So, so thank you for that. Well, hey, as you go out today, we are in the beginning of the busy season, quote unquote. And I would tell you, now is the time to adopt a sales process. Write down these seven steps. And this week, I want you to write a paragraph for each one. This will take you maybe an hour. I want you to write down all seven steps. I want you to write down a paragraph for each one of what it looks like in your company. And then stick around for the rest of the season. We're going to dive deep on every single one of these over the next seven episodes. So hope you guys have an amazing week. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Fire Time Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into burn and burn.